Oscar Poker. it's absurd too and and it comes from a place of um entitlement and the the reason for that is that he he hasn't really had to uh struggle too hard from where he sits in terms of you know he 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 burst onto the scene as one of the most promising actors it's not like his career has really taken off probably the way he would have wanted it to and he's never won an oscar um and he's been snubbed um and he's you know, he he probably sees the value in it, but also he's mm-hmm. going to be just fine without it. You know, but there are so many other people who 
who you know live and die by these awards i mean he doesn't realize two things one academy history why there is campaigning in the first place and even if you took out the campaigning there would still be campaigning because harvey weinstein would still be gathering a bunch of people in a room to watch a movie and he'd still be sitting down with people and talking to them just like mary pickford did in like the third year of the academy awards where she invited members to her home for dinner that voting members and it was one of the <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, it was one of the earliest um, yeah, it was one of the earliest campaigning that anybody ever did. <laughs> and she was one of the founding members of the Academy and she really wanted to win an Oscar and um, after that it, it took on um, you know it, it turned into a huge scandal and you know they they that's when they kind of start, decided to open up the voting um, to more members and to try to make it less about the people who founded the Academy Awards. But that was considered one of the first, and that was like in the early 30s. And it's it's you know it's been going on forever. The difference between today and then is that Academy history is based was based on for many many decades the five families, what David Fincher calls the five families, which is all the major studios, right? And the Oscars kind of rewarded the products coming out of the studios. Mm-hmm. And very much the power seat was this big studio movie. So if you take mm-hmm. us a year like last year, and it, it's still kind of like that. I mean, if you take any year, the big movies like Bridge of Spies and, you know, The Revenant, these, these big studio movies are always going to be center stage. But we also live in a climate where movies like Beasts of the Southern Wild or Amor can break in. You know, uh, foreign films can be seen at Cannes, Son of Saul, and break into the Oscars, uh-huh. you know. And that is right. entirely due to strategists and publicists. And when I hear people like Ed Norton talk like that, or anybody uh-huh. complain about Oscar season, I always feel bad for the publicists because they're working for those guys. You know, they're the ones, when you see someone on stage, that's they're standing there because of, you know, Leah Yardum, Lisa Tabak. Karen Freed, you know, Harvey Weinstein, Mm -hmm. those people are putting them on stage. And they're working really, really hard all the time, working Mm -hmm. bloggers, working critics, working screenings, doing damage control. Yes, they get paid, you know, and and maybe people like Glenn Kenny or or Jim Rockey would call them whores, you know, and us whores for, Mm -hmm. for buying into it and feeding off, you know, quote unquote, artistic greatness. But the sleazy game has always been in play, always. And it is in play from inception to when the script mm-hmm. is chosen, to casting, mm-hmm. uh, to the way they mm-hmm. cast, to the kind of demographic they play to. Uh, every part mm-hmm. of it is a sleazy game. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. just pure art, I'm sorry to say. Um, and it's always been a horse race. It's just how you define it and what your perspective mm-hmm. is, in my opinion. Now, it's well said, what you just uh, said. It's a very uh, thought through, and I can agree with everything but you know you triggered a thought about uh, when you mentioned Leah Leah Yardum and that and that's my feelings about um, about Chris Nolan <laughs> Chris Nolan um, I I went through a, a lot of um, unhappiness as a result of um, my experiences with um, why did I just blank out on that <laughs> this is a subconscious <laughs> Wasn't you know um, uh, interstellar, interstellar? Right, 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 right. And right. I, I and I and I remember um, saying to her, you know, well, this is this is your pony, and she said, we don't have a pony, and this is not a. You know. That was a. I don't think I want to watch a, a Chris Nolan film again uh, with any particular interest. I, I'm not looking forward to it, whatever it's going to be. Because <laughs> if he doesn't get off this big movie, uh, grandiose Chris Nolan 
signature thing that he's been doing. I'm getting really tired of it. Inception wore me down. I couldn't understand half of it. And, it, and it, I, I will never watch that film again. I'm certainly never going to watch Interstellar again without someone strapping me down and prying my eyelids open with those clockwork orange devices. I'm, I'll never watch it again. But you and saw it I, twice. I'm thinking, and he used to be such one of the coolest filmmakers, one of the smaller, you know, his days of, you know, of following and, and Memento and, and um, Insomnia. That, that time... Uh, that was really great, you know. Then he was really the cool guy. But I, I really don't want to. And he's in this thing where he does these huge movies. He's producing uh, Zack Snyder's Superman movie. You know, he's gotten to the point that it's all about his income and about his bigness and about, I guess, wanting to be the big guy who makes these, you know, huge whopper films that you have to see and that are major. It's not healthy for uh, a creative person's head, I think. And I really don't want to go through. I mean, he deliberately obscured the sound of that film so that you couldn't hear half the dialogue. He said that in so many words. It's mixed in ways so that you're not supposed to hear everything. That's the way I decided to do it. I don't want to go to a movie where I'm struggling to hear dialogue. All right. No, I get that. You know. I, I did not enjoy my my interstellar experience in any way. In any way. I even saw it again a second time and just to see if I was wrong or if I had gone in with a certain bias. But... Um, but no, it's it's a bad it's a it's a bad movie. I mean, people can apologize for him, and they probably will forever. You know, he'll probably yeah. his fans will you know maybe that film will be revived one day, um, like Marnie, and be thought mm-hmm. of as you know a great film. And and it certainly has its moments. <laughs> May I respectfully say that I don't believe. Marnie has been revived. I think that's like three <laughs> no, or four people. I only brought it up because I know how you feel about Marnie. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever seen Marnie in the last... Yeah, have you, did you watch the Blu-ray? Have you ever just... No, let's just watch it again. Let's just watch it. I should watch it, it, again. it again. I haven't seen it in years. It needs yeah. to be said yeah. about Ed Norton's plea to stop all the campaigning that when what he means when he says that is, please don't make me have to suffer through award season. Okay, fine. But what it means in the bigger picture is that hundreds and hundreds of people lose their jobs and industries, whole industries and magazines. That would kill Variety. It would kill Hollywood Reporter. The New York Times got an Oscar blogger so that they could make money off of Oscar season and stay alive. I mean, you know, you have to look at it like that, too. You can't just look at it like one actor's bummer bummer rap. Look, he doesn't even have to be an actor. And he's saying it's killing movies. Yeah and no. You know, it's not really. It's it's um but people but a lot of people do make money off the season and and I don't see many people complaining. I certainly didn't see Jeff Bridges complaining when he had to like campaign hard for crazy hard and he did win his Oscar out of it, you know. And same with Michael Keaton. Maybe it Michael Keaton should have won for Birdman. He should have won Best Actor. It wasn't for lack of trying. He did everything imaginable in that regard to win that you're supposed to do. He did all the publicity. He did all the baby kissing. He did all the ass kissing. And if but I he didn't through... do everything imaginable, Sasha, to be fully honest about it. He oh. was expected to, to adhere to a certain narrative, and that narrative was that the guy he is playing in Birdman is essentially himself, that he was... And is uh, that guy? You know, he went through the whole. I think people saw the parallels, and he is here. He is in Birdman, struggling to make something right. that will, uh, you know, resonate in kind of cool, artistic, uh, or season terms, just like he's doing that with the Raven Carver play. It's all 
Michael Keaton story, and he rejected that narrative. He says, "Well, that's not really me because I, I and I didn't uh, fall out of favor or get or get into a bad right, with the right. industry." You know, he could have played that thing, but he decided not to, and I think that was the crucial. At least that's how, at one point, Tom O'Neill explained me. He's not playing the game; he's being kind of himself, and he's kind of rejecting a lot of the easy, simplistic because those questions they would throw at him over and over again. He right. rejected them. I don't. I don't think he's some guy. I think he's a smart, um, alert fellow, and he didn't feel like uh, playing along with with the narrative. But that, if right. he refused to do that, that's what basically happened. I think. Right. So then they say, so, well, why can't he just win because his performance was good enough? Well, we know it doesn't work that way. We know it has to do with likability. Yeah. It has to do with the Oscar story. It has to do with people feeling like they're rewarding somebody or giving somebody something. Like Slumdog yeah. Millionaire did well because, right. you know, they all thought that they were helping the poor Indian kids and it almost went to video. And all of that contributed to why it was right. so successful with awards. People like to feel like their vote matters. And if they like mm-hmm. Michael Keaton and they're voting for him and they're voting for his comeback, quote unquote, mm-hmm. whether it's true or not, then that does win you mm-hmm. awards. You're right. Um, that is a good point. I never thought mm-hmm. of it that way, but I still can't can't look at Birdman and not think that the success of that film, yes, the directing is really good, but that performance mm-hmm. was a central performance and he should have won. So you can't tell me it's not about the pure performance. I thought Eddie Redmayne was great. He was great. But what Michael Keaton did, I thought, was just, you know, beyond, above and beyond what anybody else did. And yeah. So I, I think he deserved yeah. to win. I'm sorry that not playing the game, you know, ended up sabotaging that win. That sucks. But that doesn't have anything to do with awards buying ads. That has to do with the mm-hmm. fickleness of Academy voters, you know. Mm-hmm. And also, Eddie Redmayne, I think we, we have all acknowledged to ourselves, one, because he was a absolutely peerless uh, campaigner and he, he didn't miss a single event and right. he worked that crowd every single time he was he, he knows how to play it and he's a yeah. very engaging fellow and not know. to mention oh. stephen hawking himself was out there campaigning <laughs> <laughs> so they they have to have somebody they like right and if they even if they don't like eddie redmayne which they did because he was so charming they certainly liked stephen mm-hmm. hawking do you have any of the resistance that I'm feeling to Eddie Redmayne and Danish Girl, and I've been feeling this for months, that this is a coming thing that we're going to have to play along with, and they're going to be saying, listen, this is the year of people paying attention to and giving the proper respect and compassion for people in the transgender community. Mm-hmm. And here it is, your chance to be magnanimous and to show that you have your biggest part, and that there's a you know, and we get to, and I'm hating this narrative already. Well, I can tell you. I um, just don't, yeah. I can tell you that I spoke to someone in our field, an awards person, who said that I was talking about Best Picture, and I was saying, you know, what, if you had to pick one, what would be mm-hmm. the what would be the film? You know, what do you think? I mean, it's, mm-hmm. if it's going to tell your ride, you know that the best picture for the last 10 years or so, give or take, has shown it tell your ride. Mm-hmm. So either it was at Cannes, so youth maybe, or what movie mm-hmm. would be going to tell your ride that we could say, okay, yeah, that's the unlikely best picture that's going to win everything. And, and he said, mm-hmm. the Danish girl. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is so awful. I know. I just thought this is going to be a bad year for Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) I just... 
Do you, you know, do you think people are going to at least say, I, I understand that there's people like Kim or Air saying, oh, of course, the Davis Trump. But do you think that they're at least going to say, listen, do we want to go two in a row for Eddie Redmayne? Do we want to do that, really? Mm. And do you think that's going to be a factor at all? Or, 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 um, they do. They... Some resistance? Uh, I it? think, in my opinion, and I told him this, was that I think that the, the it will all rest on Tom Tom Hooper. He's so hit and miss, right? I mean, look at the difference between how awful Les Mis was compared to the King's speech. I mean, the King's speech was mediocre and tame by comparison. And so how much is Tom Hooper going to get in his own way? Um, <clears throat> he's also a problematic person, Tom Hooper. He's, he's kind of a notorious asshole. So I don't know if that's going to be... be a problem for him or not and I don't know anything about the movie but the transgender thing um, I come at it from a slightly different perspective because I spend a lot of time you know obviously my daughter a lot of her friends are kind of going through this same thing so it's 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 part of culture it's not just happening in Hollywood it's it's everywhere it's people are dealing with I understand that yes and I respect that entirely and um, if a person is, feels less resistance in society and is a more even, you know, acceptance, uh, okay, fine, uh, then we're a better culture and we're better people. But I just feel there's just something oppressively trendy about this thing. And I just feel it's just happening everywhere in the media and the, uh, uh, the, the one that we just heard about is called uh, About... Is it about Sam, about how, about, uh, you know, the one that we, that's uh, going to be opening Right, soon. with Elle Fanning. Uh, about, Elle Fanning, yeah. About Ray. I mean, that's about Ray, about Ray. Yeah. Um, it's just, this is what Hollywood is. They, they, they grab onto these things that are the, the, the current, you know, cultural um, topic, and they, and they uh, make movies about it, and they're all sensitive. And we're, and the idea, basically, it's education, it's social education. Yeah. And uh, you're supposed to come away, and and we all want that education to take hold. We don't want, in any way, a, a, uh, an uncaring, uncompassionate society. We all want that. So it's, I'm obviously not arguing for bigotry. I'm just saying I can't stand the trendiness of it. It's bothering right. me. I can I can understand that. I I do get it. I mean, it when you when you say it out loud, it sounds different than when you write about it, which makes it sound like it's it's a rigid proclamation. But really, what you're saying is. I just hate how these trends come and go. And it's like, okay, we're we're liberals and we're dealing with this today, and then tomorrow we forget about it. It doesn't even matter because it's not mm -hmm. a thing anymore. You know, that's what mm -hmm. you mean. I think mm -hmm. more so than you're condemning transgender people. It's more about. I've never once condemned transgender. Where are you getting that? No, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying it's not that. It's more about. Well, I think people when they read it on your site, they assume that that's what you're doing. I think that because they once it's in in print and in ink on the internet it looks like you're saying I'm not I am you know. this is the same reactionary attitude that Jerry Seinfeld's uh, daughter is saying it's the same thing right. you know you cannot say anything other than it's wonderful that we are at the point where transgender lifestyles are being accepted discussed and, and, and embraced and it's all fine if you don't say that and I am not, I, you better say that every damn time you speak up, <laughs> you are a bigot. And we will shut you down. We will piss on you on Twitter. We will, we will destroy you. And that's the way it is. Like it or love it. And that's what's going on here. It's a fascistic regime on Twitter that says you can't say anything other than this one thing, which is, you know, 
Well, I think uh, there are be two. Open, be cool. Be accepting. Love every. You know. Right. I mean, there's two. There's... Other than. This but, is exactly what I'm talking about. So I can't. It's just. It's this. But there's two ways it's, that that it's you... Twitter terrorism that we see every day, and it, and. and you just said that I am perceived. I as didn't having, say that. I said you know, it's been uncharitable or un- uncaring as far as transgender lifestyles. I absolutely have never said that once. Not no, once. I know you have. You're saying I'm that saying that once it's put in, one, well, once it's written down like that, it looks like that's what you're saying. But I'm actually saying the opposite. That you're not saying that. But there are two different ways people are looking at it, which is the the comedian saying that you can't even joke about it. Like I saw John Waters talking about it. Um, Caitlin. That's why they don't want to go to the to college campuses. They've all said it's terrible there. Yeah. They don't want to deal with it. And John Waters was saying, you can't even joke about Caitlyn Jenner. We're not allowed to make jokes about her. You know, he said that. So comedians see it one way, and then, and mm-hmm. then there's the crazy Republicans who actually do condemn transgendered people. Like, actually do say it's the end of society and blah, blah, blah. It's the, it's the extremes, you know. But you're right. You're right to an extent. You can't say that stuff. You know, if you want to be on the left and you want to be cool and you want to be, you know, um, mm-hmm. accepting and with it and with the times and, you know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I fall somewhere in between, but I, I definitely am thinking that it's we've created a monster with our outrage. We're outraged about every stupid little thing and none of it has anything to do with the real problems facing our society. It's completely right. a distraction and a sad distraction. And I wish people would stop doing it. Um, because they're missing the bigger picture, you know, really, of what's going on. And so, how many uh, kids in your daughter's realm are, um, you know, are there some kids that she knows? I know that, three. That feel uh, three. Three who are, two are actually who are actually trans transitioning. Transitioning with drugs. Surgically. And yeah. Well, not yet surgically, but with drugs and all that. And then one okay. who is maybe going to someday. But see, the thing is, I don't know if you watched that Frontline growing up trans, growing up trans that they did recently. The Frontline, where the the uh, issues no. the no. issues facing parents are. I guess this would this would apply to Shiloh. You know, Shiloh Jolie, who's obviously going to be a transgendered kid. But they mm-hmm. they go in and and they want to take you know hormone blockers so that they don't go through puberty so their hips don't get wider and they don't grow breasts so that they have to then try to hide all that stuff they want to be boys so they want to and on this show it said hormone that, blockers so that you your hips don't grow wider that they really have female that's what hormone blockers yeah do. and for men it would be I mean for boys turning to female yeah it would be that they didn't want any of the masculine. Um, developments the wider jaw the thicker legs the hairy so but on this front line they were saying that 50 percent of them 50 percent are happy with the decision once they go through all that as a young person and 50 percent were saying they didn't that they eventually said that they didn't want to be the this gender and they wanted to keep their regular gender so they said it was a really delicate and fine line to walk to find out which kids you know are really going to need medical intervention and which kids don't you know that's sort of what they were talking about and dealing with and and that's interesting and i was always telling emma you know don't tell all your friends you know wait till they're 18 because they don't know who they are what they want to do and and she was saying yeah but it's an urgent thing for them because they don't want to develop their bodies as the other gender good god (laughs) they don't want to i mean this is you know, how about just you know uh, love as 
as a natural expression regard i mean why does your body have to be changed and you know um, why do you have know. to why does this element have to be the same why can't it just why can't it be about the spirit and not the heart why does it have to be about size of genitals and whether you're it sounds, sounds creepy it's just something sci- sci-fi about it almost I'm not really sure. All I know is that I feel, when I talk about it, I feel old. I feel like I'm part of an older generation. When I hear them say stuff like, you know, they talk about all the different mm-hmm. ways you define sexuality now, like pansexual, cis, 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 you know, cisgender, which is like a straight person, or heteronormative, mm-hmm. or, you know, these kind of terms that people use. I mean, it feels like that's the way the culture's moving. It feels like that's going to be the new language that people talk to each other about, and it's something that is just foreign to me and that I have to learn. And then I'm going to be like one of those, like my grandmother, you know, talking to her about things where she's just completely out of touch. <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be that person because I grew up in... I'm trying to stay open-minded. I really am. I'm trying to listen and stay open-minded to the way things are changing, you know, because uh, we're not going to be able to do anything about it, even if we did want to, you know. This is just mm-hmm. the way evolution works. Um, Camille Polyev was saying that, that seeing everything through the lens of gender... Seeing everything through the lens of sexuality, you know, absorbing all of life through that particular lens, which is rampant uh, in politically correct uh, culture. People in this transitioning phase or contemplating their their bodies or their sexuality, it's, it's rampant on campus. She said it's madness. Mm. This, is a, this is a kind of a myopia. It, it, it's, it's, it's really madness. Uh, and it's not. You know, we were talking about centuries of culture here with people in processing and and, and, and contemplating the spirit and, and, and the universe and God and love. And, and to boil it down to, you know, sexuality and, and gender identity is there's something truly perverse about all this. And I know that makes me sound like an old guy. But well, I, I know. But That's I what I mean. Really like, it's hard to talk about it without sounding old. And But it is, but it's also something nobody talks about because you're not allowed to talk about it. So you're not allowed to talk about your fears and, you know, and, and how strange it all seems because you're just as supposed to, you're, you're expected to just roll with it really fast, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot coming at us all the time about the rules. Like on that on Bill Maher, you know, he was, he was saying that there was this handbook of things you can and can't say. Well, I kind of feel like why are we so worried about the words? You know, why are we so offended by something someone says? Like, aren't we tougher than that? You know, does it really matter what words are chosen? Does that really change things or help things? Is that going to get us out of global warming? You know? Here it is. It's it's in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, notable and quotable, Camille Paglia. This gender myopia has become a disease, a substitute for a religion. This whole cosmic view. You know, um, I am an equal opportunity feminist. I believe that all barriers to women's advancement in the social and political realm must be removed. However, I don't feel that gender is sufficient to explain all of human life. This gender myopia has become a disease. It's a, our problem now is that this monomania, this identity politics, uh, is an absolute madness. In fact, it's the distortion of the 60s. I feel the 60s had a vision. And anyway, she goes on. It's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's a really valid thing. And I just think it's, um, uh, you know, I, I just can't. Oh, Frank Gifford has just died, huh? Oh wow! Uh, well, when you anyway, that, that's a when you look at it from a bird's point. eye view. If you look at it in terms of human evolution, what has changed so dramatically? Well, 
the internet happened, you know, social networking happened, and and now we're kind of all Mm -hmm. able to have this global conversation at the same time. No time in human history have we ever been all together in one soup and able to talk to people all over the world instantly and find our kind. And so that's good in some ways, and it's bad in other ways because human beings are inclined toward hysteria. You just look at the McCarthy trials and the Salem witch trials. I mean, we do kind of get caught up in hysteria, and it's really easy to do that. And that, nothing whips up hysteria like the Internet. Just look at the Zero Dark Thirty thing, you know. So mm-hmm. I'm just saying, like, that's what's changed. And until we kind of learn how to manage this on a global level of all of us being able to talk to each other, I, I think you're going to see some really strange things we're, happen. We're fine. We're all talking to each other. It's really quite, quite fine. I mean, this is a – Jesus Christ. There's so much that is uh, – that is being fought over. There's so much conflict, but it's primarily, uh, uh, you know, with the world starting to die from, mm. uh, you know, the, the poison and the pollution and the yeah. climate change. And we all sense that the, uh, the nurturing elements, clean air, fresh water, you know, drought, uh, we, we're all sensing that it's like, um, you know, the, the, the people that have, are, are getting more and more defensive, building their higher and higher walls, right. keeping people out. And that's what, that's what really is the, the key issue here. And it's being obviously played out in, uh, in various cultures. I mean, the terrorism, uh, ISIS, murder, and all these. And, 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 and to look over in the United States in this little sector of Los Angeles, New York, and other elite um, cultures where there's high education levels and a certain level of affluence, and we're talking about gender identity. No, That's our big thing, you know? It just shows Good that we, are, we have the luxury of, of, of freaking out about stuff like that. We're lucky because we don't have to worry about so many things that yeah. other countries do. Um, and speaking of insignificant things, now we can move on to Miles mm-hmm. Teller. <laughs> it's exactly that. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's the world's most insignificant story that somehow turned into a story. But, um, mm-hmm. but you know, I think he just, I, in my opinion, he learned his lesson of what it is to talk to journalists because you don't know until you, you've talked to one who you think is your friend, mm-hmm. is acting like your friend. And it's if you watch All the President's Men, you can see how journalists work. Like Dustin Hoffman, he goes in to talk to Jane Alexander, you know, and he's she's just like, I don't want to talk to you. And he worms his way in little bit by little bit. Can I have a cup of coffee? The coffee's cold, <laughs> you know. And he worms his way yeah. in. And before you know it, she's talking to him like, you know, they're best friends. And so she's telling him everything. And then he goes and he writes uh-huh. it all, you know. But that's their job. Uh-huh. That's what journalists do. And I think guys like Miles Teller, when they're too famous, too fast like that, they think, oh, she's being nice to me. She digs me. She's my friend. She's not going to write anything bad about uh-huh. me. You know, like in Almost Famous where he says, just make us look cool, you know. But that's not what journalists do, and you have to be really careful of that. And the old-timers know that, you know. They, they've had their tangles with journalists, and they know. But a young guy like that, he's just, was an easy mark. <laughs> I would, if I were, you know, profiling somebody, I don't think I'd call them a dick. I wouldn't say something as blunt as that. Yeah. But uh, that, that really was... Um, now he's been labeled as a guy who has a, a smug, cocky, kind of possibly mm-hmm. arrogant streak about him. And now he's got that on his plate. And now he has to kind of, um, I guess, fight against that or balance it out. Or, you know, this well, is just a little, you know, detour in his, in his path. It's not 
Mm, well, it's just another crazy way to look at it is it's kind of like the beast needs to be fed. So the beast had um, Shia LaBeouf for a while to kick around. <laughs> it kicked him around a lot. That's for sure. And he was, and Lindsay Lohan's like an Anne Hathaway and, you know, Kirsten Dunst or whoever it is that they want to destroy at the moment and keep destroying them. <laughs> and now poor Miles Teller, he's in that loop, you know. <laughs> he's in the destruction yeah. loop and he's it's going to take him a while to get out of it and it's going to be hard for him because they're going to be dogging him the way that they did Shia LaBeouf mm-hmm. and capturing every bad thing he does and, you know, and he, as you, you had an encounter with him, you know what he's like, you know. He's a hothead. He mm-hmm. yelled at you for staring yeah. at his girlfriend. <laughs> well, I wasn't staring at her. I was checking her out because she was bent over on an escalator. And I figured, well, here's my opportunity. She's not even, she's not even looking my direction. I can, I can look at her ass now. I can't if she's looking at me. I'm not gauche. I'm not going to be an idiot and, and, and be coarse. But there, there is my big opportunity. Brilliantly, I didn't realize the boyfriend's looking at me and realize what I'm doing. And so he let me have it. I thought that was the funniest story, but yeah. you know what's funny about it is that the one thing you notice about Miles Teller immediately is, wow, he has a really hot girlfriend, really hot, and he yeah. knows it, so he must be paranoid yeah. that everybody's. But why do you walk around with a girl that looks like that and not expect people to stare at her? I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's a fairly you have to expect that in life. I mean, good heavens, you know, you're asking for. I mean, you can't. I, but I see that a lot, though. If, if there are pretty girls walking into Starbucks, and I'm sitting there, and I the, the guy always meets but gets my eye, and mm. he always looks right at me, and says, "Take it easy. Don't look at her too much. <laughs> She's with me." <laughs> wow, it's funny. I'm not staring at her, man. I'm just checking her out. You know, don't do it too much. I'm telling you, because I'm with her. Right. Um, it's like ownership. They have to do that all day long, you know. Yeah, total ownership. You know, women do it too. It's mm. funny, like people don't mm. realize that, but they do. They, they. Uh, if you're walking in with a guy in it, and 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 the woman stares at the guy, and they have this exchange, you know, the mm-hmm. women do that. They definitely step up and they, you know, kind of cock block a little bit, like you know, step off, <laughs> lady. This is mine. <laughs> <laughs> so I think women are just the same way. It's just it's a little more obvious with guys because I think more women check out or more guys check out hot women than women check out mm-hmm. guys that you're with, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, but I think he'll – I don't know what he's going to – I mean, like Shia LaBeouf, it's, sometimes it's hard to shake that off, you know. People start making fun of you, yeah. and if you're humorless about it especially – they make fun of you more because it's all that much more delicious and pretty soon they're making parodies about you and memes about you and videos about you and Shia LaBeouf could have gone gotten past that fairly easily he you know you know he started off with some uh, problematic uh, episodes one in Walmart when he got into a car in uh, I asked him way back in the days of Indiana Jones in the last crusade at Cannes you know I said I, I um respect and, and, and give you a thumbs up about going into the program and said, what program? Oh, well, I read right. that you had gone to, you know, decided to, you know, uh, address uh, the issue and, and go into AA for a while. So I haven't done, I'm not doing any AA, I'm fine. I'm just yeah. living my life. Man. Yeah. Right, right. So he's, but then he uh, wore the bag over his head at the Berlin Film Festival. I am no longer a famous person. I am not famous. Right, right. I mean, he he really was asking for this kind of attention. I know, but and he's, like, he's 
He yeah. just can't seem to shake it off. He can't shake off the, yeah. that thing that people think he is a joke. He just can't, no matter what he does, yeah. if he does performance art, if he you know, if he's a mm-hmm. musician or this video, or no matter what he's doing, even if he was, he's great in that, um, that, yeah. that music video, um, mm-hmm. the Sia mm-hmm. video, it's so beautiful. But um, but it, it just can't seem to break free of that. Maybe it just takes time. I don't know. But I I, I don't know if that's going to happen to Miles Teller. I mean, I think he just had one moment where people thought he was an asshole, and he'll have to recover from that. But um, you know that uh, Lisa Tayback told me that they're definitely going to be uh, making a push for for uh, uh, Dano and supporting and Cusack and lead. Now the Cusack's not going to work, but I think that Dano might seriously. No, no chance. No. no, lead actor is packed. It's just, it's going to be the most competitive category. No, I didn't, I just said that. I don't think that the Cusack will work, but I think that Dano... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Dano and supporting, yeah. that's weird. I thought he was the lead. Me too. That's what I thought, but um, that's what they're going to do. And that would could work for them, seriously, because they're, they could, if they say that he's a supporting character, which I don't know what they're talking about, but if they're going to say that, and you, you know it's just a matter of can they sell it or not, then they've got something. I you think. know, that's so, interesting because I wonder if what we're looking at now is um, best actor is so packed, there's no room that, that what's going to happen is there's going to be this spillover into supporting where all the supporting performances are lead performances. So it's like, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's you know, the end of the tour, Jason Siegel in there, <laughs> Paul Dano from mm-hmm. Love and Mercy in there, and maybe <laughs> Harvey Keitel <laughs> from You in there. It's like these lead performances. That's smart. I don't know if they are doing Jason Siegel for supporting. Is that the uh, idea? They are, yes. They are doing Jason Siegel. Okay, so that's the way to do it. That's the way to do it, because you could easily say, well, of course he's the lead. It's about him. He's the guy. Exactly. nope. It's supporting, and I, I understand what they're doing. That's, that's smart. So then you have those three, smart. and then you might have, let's say, one of the guys from Spotlight, and we can use Spotlight to Sagan to tell you right if you want, but um, so you have either mm-hmm. Mark Ruffalo or Michael Keaton, who, which is probably going to be a co-lead performance. One of those is going to go into supporting. So um, you really mm-hmm. might have a year where you have five supporting <laughs> Performances that are actually leads, and then five leads. So you're going to have mm-hmm. ten best actor performances nominated. <laughs> that's funny. Maybe. Well, that's what it should be anyway. I think there yeah. should be ten uh, nominees in in actress and actor. Right. That would be fine with me. But they're not going to ever do that, of course. But now, now don't you think that you and Sasha are uh, uh, contributing to the problem that Ed Norton sees out there by saying in advance that the five Best Actor nominees, as we understand them, Leonardo DiCaprio and um, The Revenant, and uh, certainly Eddie Redmayne and Danish Girl, and uh, what are the other three again? Um, well, there's, there's Black um, Mass, Johnny Depp. Uh, Johnny Depp, and definitely um, um, uh, 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 Steve Jobs. Uh, um, Michael Fassbender. Michael Fassbender. And then there's the Idris Elba, right? Oh, I think he's... No, no, I understand uh, very clearly that that is not a lead performance. That's definitely a supporting performance. Oh, okay, okay. Just from, even from a non-vested thing, you know. it's um, he's, he's just not on screen enough, and he's not really a central character at all. He's a uh, kind of a tyrannical, goading, uh, terroristic figure, but he's certainly not a lead performance. It's all the... Wow, so then he goes into the very powerful supporting category, too. <laughs> 
Um, okay, so yeah. that's that. And then and then the, the two guys from Youth, you know, what to do with them, Michael Keaton, I mean, uh, Michael Caine and Harvey Keitel. Mm. So that's two more best I don't actors. take Harvey Keitel's in the conversation. I really don't. Well, then Michael Caine, maybe. That's, that's a stretch. But I don't know. Um, I, we'll have mm-hmm. to see. Tell Your Right is... I mean, we're just waiting. I, I keep waiting every year to see if this is going to be the year where the, they break the streak, you know, where the Best Picture winner isn't seen at Telluride and it's picked from somewhere else. Um, I know mm-hmm. a lot of people mm-hmm. have high hopes for The Revenant. You know, The Revenant's coming out. It's not going to be seen on the festival yeah. circuit. And Bridge of Spies, saying, oh, there's another Best Actor, Tom Hanks, for Bridge of Spies. Um, Brian Cranston is a lock for Trumbo. And then there's um, the legend, Tom Hardy. So, I mean, you can see already how packed it is. Oh, wow. That's, of course, that's a very natural, and I'm sorry for not speaking, but that makes uh, good sense. So that's seven. Did yeah. you just name seven? With, seven so we really strong. Two out of that. So I know. So who's going to get cut? That's why I say forget it for <laughs> forget it for any of these other little fringe movies. They just don't even have a chance yeah. against all these huge performances mm-hmm. that are so. I mean, my God, it's going to be so competitive, the most competitive uh-huh. category for sure. And I don't know what Ed Norton would say about it. I don't know. I mean, I, um, I, I mean, we've already been dealing with this. It's not like he's the first person uh-huh. to ever complain about the Oscar race. You know, everybody does, uh-huh. from critics to. And I understand where James Rocky and, and Glenn Kenny are coming from. I do get it from a critic's standpoint. I just hope neither of them has mm-hmm. ever given the opportunity that their only job can be that they do Oscar coverage. <laughs> They're going to hate that. <laughs> but some people, you know, got to earn a paycheck, mm-hmm. and uh, they can't always have the luxury of being paid to be a film critic. And, in fact, that job is disappearing fast. But the only yeah. thing, the last See? thing we haven't talked about on your list is the whole yeah. Yeah. Chris Tapley going to Variety thing. I don't know if you want to go into that or not, but... Um, or we can just add it. Well, very briefly, I, I feel strangely, because I, I think that this, this makes us kind of stand out as, one, as the young people who haven't you know, founded a, a corporate endorsement. It makes these, I think it gives us distinction because we're the, we're the, you know, the last men standing. You know, I think that that's um, that's actually kind of cool. I, I think it feels great. I mean, there's there's, there's got to be a, a two or three of, of people in that uh, in the in the kind of the forward front. Uh, particularly people living in Los Angeles or, you know, interacting. There are a lot of people with, with movie blogs and, you know, I'm not trying to say that they aren't valid, they don't have good voices, they don't deserve good traffic. But, you know, we're, we've been around for a long time, and here we are. We're still vibrantly, healthily, you know, pitching away and doing pretty well. I feel pretty good about it now that I think about As it. As independent um, business owners, it's really weird, isn't it? Um, I, I think it's strange yeah. that Pete Hammond... Mm-hmm. Um, Chris Tapley, uh, Variety, and Deadline, um, mm-hmm. and now Gold Derby and Tom O'Neill are all under the same <laughs> banner. Like, that's yeah. wild. I mean, that that is, I, I don't know what it means in terms of how, if they will cross over. You know, I, I know that Deadline and Variety are strictly separated. Like, they do not cross over at all. But I don't know about oh, Gold sure. Derby if it will ever infiltrate any of those. But wow, that's that's quite a monopoly on the awards industry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, good. I'm, I'm I'm glad that Jay Penske has that much of an investment and interest in it, and, and it means uh, you know it's a healthy thing. But it also, again, it, it um, there's a there's a separate element between them, and I think that, that you know you kind of get a little mushy when you're own when you're, when you're trying to bring in all that income. Uh, there's a, uh, a pressure against being too particular, too idiosyncratic in the viewpoint. You've got to kind of defer to the fact that they're 
you know, this or that movie is, um, is, is worthy of attention. I don't think there were, like, a, what I've been saying about uh, Dana's Girl, I don't think you can say that if you work for right. Variety or work for Deadline. Don't you agree? I agree completely. You have someone over you saying you can't do this because it will, it's too mm-hmm. controversial. Um, that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I've never right. taken a job. And, you know, Tom says to me, you should shop around and, you know, you should try to get. But I would never really want to work in this gig if I couldn't just do it the way that I wanted to do it. I would never want to. I'd rather be a teacher right. or something. You know, if mm-hmm. want to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like it right. doesn't intrigue me that much to just be, you know, an employee of a, of a big outlet. I, I'd much rather just have my own voice. And, and I'm lucky that I can make money doing it. Lucky. It's been my experience also that when you are with a significantly sized organization, like, for instance, People, where I was for two years, almost two years, uh, I'd say I just was sensing that a, a good half of people's psychic energy, emotional energy, went towards their uh, positioning, their jostling for access to power, for higher salaries, for better assignments. A lot of it, a lot of the energy is about uh, how you can prevail over your co, your fellow employees, and have a better position. There's a lot of uh, kiss-ass behavior. You know, that's where a lot of the energy goes. And then the other energy, of course, necessarily goes to the good writing, to the good reporting. But it's definitely two areas of that are that demand your full uh, unbridled attention. And I think that wasting, I think it's just a waste of time to to be um, kind of um, playing those social competitive games with your fellow employees. But that's what you have to do when you're at an organization organization like that. Right, I'm sure. But the upside, no ad selling. All of your expenses Mm -hmm. are paid for when you travel. You know, those are all the good things about it. Yeah. Okay, the Telluride thing, what's your, what is your, uh, I mean, we, we know Steve Jobs is, 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 well, we don't know that. We shouldn't say that we know that, but I, I think it's very likely. Um, and uh, I think that, is that the, the big one that everybody's going to be, uh, you know, most excited about at Telluride? I mean, that seems to be the one that, that has the most heat from my perspective, what do you think? Well, I think that and Spotlight. I feel like Spotlight has a lot of heat heading in and, and Black Mass, too. Those are the three that I, mm-hmm. I think that... Um, and, and Room, you know, for after seeing the trailer for Room with, with um, Brie Larson, that looks pretty good. We didn't talk about Suffragette. Do you have any feelings about that? Do you, do you sense any... Uh, thing from Carrie Mulligan, particularly. I mean, seems yeah. she's got to cut herself a really good role here, and she's had a great year. You don't, you don't feel anything special? No, about I, that? I absolutely do, and I think that. I mean, I wrote about her. I think she's going to be one of the strong contenders for best actress. You know, I'm, I'm hoping the movie's good. I didn't really like that screenwriter's last film, and I know I'll be expected to support it because it's a female writer and director, and subject matter. So and, and uh, the screenwriter, uh, her last film, just to, can you remind us of her name? I know who you're talking about. Abby Morgan, and she wrote The Iron Lady, which I hated. Uh, so, you hated that. I hated it. I but thought it was terrible. I thought but the Iron Lady was interesting. The way they uh, uh, spent a lot of time with old Margaret Thatcher in yeah. her dotage. I didn't like it at no, all. But that's okay. it was... No, I didn't. Okay. I didn't think it was very good. But um, but hopefully this one will be good. Mm-hmm. I don't have any sort of preconceived ideas about it. I just I hope it's good. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always a lot more pressure on women 
because they, it has to be doubly good. You know, it has to be extra, extra good. Uh-huh. <laughs> it can't just be a good movie. It has what, to be a great movie. What is your instinctual feelings about the film Our Brand is Crisis, which is going to come out on October 30th? It would almost certainly be at uh, Taylor film. And this oh, is about, great. you know, do you know anything about that? Got, no, uh, but I... Sandra I'm, Bullock in it? Well, yeah, I, all I know huh? about it is what I read on Hollywood Elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but it looks good. So you have no, in other words, you have no interest in it. No, I do. I, I love that it's you know it has a woman in it, and I think she's going to be great because she's always good when she gets to play these hard characters, and she doesn't get enough credit for that when that she's able to do mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, it's un, it's probably going to be slightly uncomfortable subject matter, but um, but I hope mm-hmm. it goes to tell you right. That would be fantastic if it did. And um, what is your feeling um, right now about? about the Carol thing. The Carol thing is basically that Rooney Mara is not going to get pushed for Best Actor. She's going to be, same same thing with the men, she's going to be pushed down to supporting because they feel that she's probably got a stronger uh, chances in that in that category. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think that they're going to, that people are going to be that interested in Caitlin Blanchett for Best Actress again, do you? But they're going to run her yeah, in that capacity. I do. I think that it's going to be... You do. Well, I think you've got to look at a couple of factors. The first is that what does Weinstein have coming into the race? He's got Carol and he's got the the transgender movie, those two. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, if it's Harvey Weinstein's only movie, then you can bet that it's going to get hardcore traction. I mean, he doesn't have Lisa mm-hmm. Tayback working with him anymore, which is a shame because um, mm-hmm. she was she was really his secret weapon. But, um, but I think that... Yeah. I mean, she was. She was. She could be credited for all yeah, the stuff that they credit him with. Was really should be credited to Lisa Tayback. She's the best in the mm-hmm. business, or one of them. But, um, but I still think that given that, given the film, um, how good it is, its response in Cannes, and that it's a period film, and that mm-hmm. it's right in their wheelhouse, you know. And if the gay mafia gets involved, mm-hmm. it's going to have like every nomination. So, yeah. um, I think that it's going to do I, really well. I, I was as moved as you or anybody else was by Carol. I think she's it's quite a moving film, and and, and I, I I've thought about it. And I I'm really looking forward to seeing it a second time. But uh, I I was really slightly more taken with Rooney Mara's uh, performance than I was with Kate, and it's, mm-hmm. and yet they're strategically you know pushing her down this recording, which is not a tragedy. I just think it's odd. Well, actually, it's but it's better for her because she could actually win in that category. But I agree. I mean, I I thought that she yeah. she showed the most. She surprised me the most with her performance. I, I yeah. you expect Kate Blanchett to be able to just walk in there and phone that in and ace it. But mm-hmm. Rooney Mara, yeah. you know, you don't expect. It's almost that like you her. expect her. She's like Meryl Streep. You expect her to do something phenomenal and quite quite uh, stirring and 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 very techniquey. You know. Yeah. So. And, Rooney Mara's yeah. fantastic in it. She's she's just so so good. So she's looking at her, um, you know, maybe her first Oscar win for this. I mean, I know it's early to say, but yeah. it's such a strong performance. And if it goes in supporting, she could win. She she'd have a hard time yeah. getting nominated. Yeah. Although she still probably would get nominated if she went lead. But um, yeah, I think mm-hmm. that I think that Carol. Yeah. One of the reasons why in this new normal of the way the Oscar season works is that one mm-hmm. of the reasons why films do so well at Telluride and Cannes and earlier is because once they're a done deal and they're a known quantity or whatever, you know, you know what they are. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be surprised by them. You don't have to settle in with your feelings about them. Everybody already knows mm-hmm. Carol is a good movie. So the only thing that's really going to knock it out is if other things come along that are better. 
that people like better. Uh-huh. That's really going to be the only thing. And one of the reasons why the earlier movies tend to get in is just that. It's like people already know they're good. Well, it was nice talking with you, and I mm-hmm. hope you enjoy your Sunday. Yeah. Okay, you too. Okay, bye. Okay, take care. Bye. You've been listening to Oscar Poker with Jeffrey Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com and Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com. The bumper music was I Don't Want to Have to Lie by Lolo and Killing Moon by Slow Club. Thanks for listening.